0: We are live and it is uh, a welcome back, comfort ye my people, lesson one. Joshua is teaching and it looks like Mrs. Spurlock, the younger that is, is uh, already online and listening to us, how about that? Joshua, you're up, bud. All right, Um, so
1: we'll uh, start with what I hope is a fairly obvious uh, question. What is Handel's Messiah about? Hmm. Literally anyone can answer this question. Messiah. There we go. It's about Messiah. <laughs> Excellent. Thank well you. Well
0: done. Well done. Handel's what? Yes. yes. Um
1: and Handel is a name, it's it's not a part of a pot. Um Handel's Messiah is about Messiah. But I think that uh, as you hopefully you if you did your homework this week, you had a chance to read through the entire libretto. Um which is really quite moving. It's all scripture. I think there's only one or two verses that are even paraphrased slightly to uh, adjust to make it um, yeah. it's the way that it's sung. So it's not for the first person, but basically everything else is straight King James Version Bible English. Um, so, as you read through it, what is the culmination? What is the what's what seems to be the purpose of the Messiah? Where do we get to at the end? Do we end at the cross? Do we end at the tomb? Where do we end? The lamb is sitting on the throne. Lamb is sitting on the throne. But more importantly, where are we?
0: I think we're with him. Right. The end of this. We, um, we put on the incorruptible, we put on the immortality.
1: Right, so the last the last section of Handel's Messiah is definitely not in your typical uh christmas or easter musical um which is actually kind of disappointing i think Handel really hit the nail on the head because one of the biggest mistakes that we can make um is to imagine that messiah is all about the cross messiah is not all about the cross nor is he all about his own resurrection messiah is about bringing mankind back into relationship with God so that we can worship God in fullness. That's the point. That's why he came. Um, He starts by preaching repentance. Then he dies and resurrects uh, to to cement that relationship, to enable that relationship. But the end result is that we get at the end of Handel's Messiah. The end result is we all resurrect... We all join him in glory. And then at the very end, we're praising and worshiping him as God for having done this for us. That's the point. Um, so I think that as you, as you read through this, um, I hope that you kind of got a sense of the, the grandioseness. It's not, it's not even a word, but the, the, the supremacy, the significance of Messiah. You know, we, we sing these cute little um, Christmas hymns, or we don't, maybe, but some of the people do. <laughs> uh, you can sing them in St. Um Christmas hymns in which we talk about, you know, the baby in the manger and so forth. And and uh, to say that that's a, a, a borderline footnote in the story would be, you know, a pretty accurate description, I think. I mean, there's a reason why the birth story is only in really one gospel. Um, because... It's just a part of the greater picture of who Messiah is. Um, it's not the main reason why he came. Um, so as you read through it, I w- give me some thoughts. What was what was some connections you guys made? We asked that you guys as you kind of read through the libretto, kind of think about like what's the flow? What's Handel trying to do? How's he transition? Where does he start? On the river Thames. River, <laughs> Abel. river Abel. Well, that might be ge- geographically. That's my dad. He's into maps. Um, where, uh, where, where is Handel's thoughts here? Why, where does he start talking about Messiah? Gregory. In the prophets? They're, they're in the prophets. What was yes. he saying about Messiah? Like what's, what's the, what are the characteristics? Throw something out there. What's, what's he say about Messiah? Or read it if you want to. He is going to return. Okay. Going uh, pur- or that he's coming. He's, he's coming. Purified.
2: He's going to purify the sons of Levi. Purify the sons of mm-hmm. Levi,
1: great. He talks yeah. about the virgin. Right, we got the virgin. But the virgin comes later. I think it's interesting, as your handles with Messiah, the opening line is not virgin. In fact, that one only comes until... It's that's number eight. It's number eight. But he gets through seven other verses before then. Um, these are pretty... And they're pretty dramatic. Um, here's an example from our Haftarah that we read. Isaiah 45. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Uh, Anybody else have Haggai 2,
0: verses 6 and 7? Day of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, yet once a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. Shake the heavens
1: of the earth. This is not in your typical Christmas hymn. it probably should be.
2: Not even not even an Easter hymn. If, not even if Easter, you would consider right. Handel's Messiah appropriately at Easter, it would be a lot of it would be kind of out of place as well because it's about it's about a king. Right. It's about a warrior. It's a, it's a conquering warrior. It's not about a um,
1: it's not a, about a lamb being led to slaughter. Right. Right. The lamb being led to slaughter imagery we get from Isaiah fifty three was actually supposed to be a, um, it's supposed to be stark. It's supposed to be, whoa, this guy, let this happen? It's not supposed to be, well, oh, meek and mild Jesus. Yeah. You know, he, he, he got picked on as a kid. He kind of saw this coming. Yeah. I There's mean, that, that's not the ghost of are bullies.
0: Right. There's no question Malachi 3, in, in my mind, is talking about the second coming. Right? right, you the get this too? And when the Messiah is played at Christmas... It seems anachronistic to me because it should probably be maybe a Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot kind of thing. Um, but everything that you had us go through with Elijah and the voice and the whole thing, it clearly seems to be what happened in preparation for what will happen. Right. So like, when we think about Judaism's understanding of Mashiach, what are some
1: characteristics that they are? up? conquering warrior. Conquering warrior. There we go. Sitting on the throne. He's a king. Right. He's a king. He's going to beat up Iran. He's Mashiach ben David, right? I mean, so David, what does David do? David takes a lot of names in the Middle East. I mean, he basically, he sets up an enormous kingdom by that era's standards. Um, Pretty impressive one. I mean, it's not conquering the world, but he takes over basically every every little country around him. Um, He uh, and and in a pretty dramatic fashion in some cases. They're scared to death of the guy. Um, then he sets it up so that his his son, an entire next generation, basically doesn't have to fight at all. That's right. I mean
0: Which David, is one of the reasons he couldn't build the
1: temple. Right, because he was a man of violence. Yeah. But but Solomon is able to build the temple because he lives in an era of peace that David has achieved through conquest. But what's more than that, David is also He's a unifying force. I mean, think about it. When David first takes over as king, the country is divided. The country, they have two different kings at first. Um, David is the one who conquers Jerusalem and sets up the, 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 moves the tabernacle there. I mean, David is in all pictures from the messianic image, the, the perfect Israelite king up until now. If Moses is the perfect prophet, David is the perfect king. So Mashiach is coming in that, Vain, yeah, King, right? That's that's who we're talking about. You can read through these verses; it's, I mean, like here's an example. It says, uh, "Let's throw Isaiah nine 2 We use this one all the time, right? The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. and They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And uh, I think sometimes we get kind of caught up in like our evangelism lingo, and we're like, "I see light." That's not
0: what we're getting at here. And we're talking about like eighteen. Zechariah nine. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, he is the righteous savior, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen.
1: Right. I mean you're talking about talking about king. We're talking about someone who's gonna change reality. We're talking about light and darkness. I mean you think about like if you think about uh, the way that we use that terminology in like in like the World War Two context, right? You know, you think about like of the darkness of, of Nazism or the darkness of the, uh, the, uh, the, the Soviet Union or the, you know, the darkness today of terrorist groups like ISIS and whatnot we're talking about a spiritual light force coming to to shatter darkness that's a lot different from um, from simply wow I understand better and I, I feel happy about my life you know that's not like Mashiach's vision is so much bigger than that it's not about me it's not about you it's kind of about you it's about you worshiping god it's about me being a part of his kingdom but nothing more (laughs) right right god has an amazingly intimate relationship with you because he wants you to worship him what was so what's the exodus right why why were we taken out of egypt
0: that we might serve
1: yeah well done (laughs) i heard i heard i heard you um that's exactly right Joshua Martin gets bonus points there. That's right. Uh, uh, so he that, said
0: that without moving his lips. He did. He just it's thought amazing. and he spoke.
1: <laughs> wow. I felt it, brother. But that's the, that's the idea, right? We may serve him. I mean, that's, that's why God took us out of Egypt. There's a reason why, in, when, when the, the, they list the different things we're supposed to remember, the first one is God took you out of the land of Egypt. And the second one is what happened at Mount Sinai. This is why we're here. Um, So I want I want you to keep this in your mind as you go through the study. Who is Mashiach? What is his big picture vision? I mean, what is his big picture vision? But was being king. Okay, he's going to conquer the world. He's going to rule. We're going to worship him. Great. What does that look like? What is he doing? What else is he doing? You've prayed the Elenu prayer. It's a great place to go. His name is one. His name is one. Right. Well, conquering—is it simply going to be? Uh, well, is it going to be just a physical conquering? Is it going to be spiritual conquering? Is it
3: going to be both? Overcoming the king, he king, He creates peace between all. He rules. He so, rules. Uh, Lion will lay down the land. Right. There's peace
1: in the universe, and at the same time, how does he rule? With a rod of iron. With a rod of iron. What did you say, Greg? Uh, what did I say? You said something about him overcoming.
4: Yeah. Oh, overcoming death. Uh, That's towards the end, just about, uh, yeah, being a victor
1: over death. The last enemy, right? Yeah. So I think think that's the, this is the picture, you know? He's like, the Elenu prayer talks about, like, talking to God, right? Saying, I'm asking you to hurry up and bring your kingdom here. Why? I want you to make all of the wicked people, all of the idolaters, worship you. I want them all, as it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That's everybody, because I want the universe to be whole. I've been listening to um, Rabbi Shlomo Katz and some of his teachings and things. He's um, got some interesting stuff out there. Um, but He's talking about the, uh, the last three weeks we've been in, the three weeks of mourning, and what's the sadness about there being no temple. And, and, and you know, I think sometimes for us, it's like, oh, yeah, we missed the temple because it's a place to kind of meet with God. But he's thinking globally. Shlomo Katz is saying, like, wait, like when the temple was here, the entire universe knew there was a God. I mean, you know, there's a pillar of cloud that goes straight up that doesn't get blown by the wind. You know, a million people can sit stand in the middle of a single temple mount, can all stand up, be packed like sardines, and then all bow down, and there's room for all of them. I mean, miracles are happening all the time. You walk into the temple, you grab some Levi, you know, priest guy, and say, hey, I want to know what my purpose in the universe is, and he could tell you. This is what, this is, this was what the universe was like. When the temple was in place. And what we miss today, we're not lamenting the loss of the temple just because we don't get a chance to offer up offerings or do some of the mitzvah, although that's a big one. We miss the temple because it is the interface between God and this world. Right. And it makes the world more godlike. It's here. We're missing his kingdom on earth. And that's the ultimate goal. An ultimate goal of Messiah. We could draw near. We can draw near. Physically. Right, and those who don't um, will be driven to their knees, at least initially. Right, um, and God rules everything. So this is. So if you think about this, what um, I'm going to see if I can get you to get on my same wavelength. If not, I'll answer the question for myself. So, king comes into town. How how does that get broadcast? Do, does he just show up? It's like so the king's here. Oh wow! Oh, I didn't realize the king was coming today. That's a surprise. The advance team,
2: and then the press and right the
1: newspapers, the secret, TV, service. secret service, secret service. Well, the service. president's day. Oh my goodness! I mean, have you seen? Have you guys seen? Anyone seen the president's motorcade drive by? Oh, that's a cool thing. So I work uptown in a very high building, so I can sometimes see when they's coming uptown. You can see the motorcade. The whole highway is shut down. Then you see the advance cop cars. Then you see. The beginnings of the limousine caravan, and you have no idea which one the president's in. Then you see the follow-up cars. I mean, they got cops that have been sitting on overpasses for hours, making sure that nobody's planted a bomb there and no one's getting ready to snipe the president. They've got snipers on rooftops that have probably been there since the night before. Yeah. I mean, when when the president shows up, everybody is going to know what's going to happen when it's happening. When the king showed up back in, in the time that we're talking about, in the biblical times, and then certainly throughout the Middle Ages, you definitely knew, and it was a different way of doing it, they would have a herald. Right, criers, Somebody to go up front and say, the king's coming, nothing else. Get out of the way, because his chariot's coming, and it's not going to stop for anybody. But nonetheless, somebody was making it clear, the king is coming. Um, this, is, this is John, or Elijah. Or both. This is the voice. The voice's purpose is to proclaim the coming of the king. Amen.
0: And and to have the people prepare. Right,
1: right. I'm so glad you said that. So what does that look like? What does it mean by have the people prepared? Repenting. Repenting, right. But is it but why? I mean, isn't that kind of what Messiah is coming to do? Help tell people to repent? Why do they have to repent before he gets there? We won't see him if we don't repent. We won't see him if we repent. Does anyone... Okay, so Judaism has an interesting take on this, and whether or not you agree with it, is, it's, it's an interesting theory. Judaism believes that the Mashiach can come at any time. Sounds kind of like a lot of Christians. Their understanding of it, though, is it has completely to do with our repentance level. Right. If we're worthy, Mashiach will be revealed. And in fact, there are multiple times in history that, according to his ages, the sages, the was going to be revealed, but we fell short.
0: Well, the Master Himself said that. You know, I, I, he's he's over Jerusalem weeping, saying, you know, I would have gathered you like a hen, you know, gathers his chicks, but you were not willing. Right, right.
2: And on the reverse, on the other side, we have the epistles.
1: Tell us that we should work to hasten. Hasten the come. Right, right. So this is John, right? So John comes. Why? He's trying to repair the people. Mashiach is coming. You better be ready because if you are ready, then let's get this kingdom started. And if you're not ready, we're going to have a long, long wait. Yeah. So he comes to repair the way. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that John was a success or a failure? Both.
2: He is a success in his time, but ultimately, Eliyahu will actually bring them aside.
1: I like that. I like that. I, I would,
0: but I, I, I'm w- open to other possibilities. I, <laughs> I, I, I hear where your dad's going, and I, and I don't disagree. But I would, I would argue that he was successful in proclaiming. Right. I believe it was the people right, yeah. the that results, caused results, Elijah's yeah. failure. Yeah. That's a good point. Or, or, So he's not responsible. You know, that's like saying, "Did the Messiah fail?" Right. Because the people weren't didn't. Right. You know, right. but praise be to God, there is a second chance. <laughs> you know. On,
2: on, on, on John as well, you know, we hear a lot about when we start talking about purpose and and you know, purpose, purpose-driven life and all that kind of thing. We always seem to we always seem to put identity as a part of that. John is unaware and unconcerned with his identity.
3: Hmm.
2: In fact, we could say that John had no clue who he was Hmm. and his purpose other than it was his job to proclaim. That was it. So he knew his function. So it's, it's the, it's a matter of from a, from a, from a, uh, from a philosophical point of view, it is a matter of function is far more important than identity. Hmm. and, the modern world is completely backwards with that regard. Everything is about identity and who I am. And you know, I gotta find out who I am so I know where I fit into this universe is is nonsense when you consider John. John is doesn't care who he is. Who are you? Well, I'm not the Messiah. Well, who are you then? Are you Elijah? No, I well Yeshua says he is, but he he doesn't know he doesn't care. It's
0: right. only that his would, function. Reading the Apostolic yes. Scriptures, you wouldn't even know that John was a Priest. Exactly. But he was.
5: Right.
0: He never says he's a prophet. But he was. He says he's not a prophet. He says he's not. The prophet. Right? Right. So I mean, but he's just a guy. And you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if the master said about us or or referred to us the way he referred to John? There was an amazing amount of respect and admiration there. Absolutely, unbelievable.
1: And uh, and I think that John earned it. I, Joshua, I think you had a comment.
3: And Gregory, um, I was going to ask, what do you mean by because Eliyahu ultimately will proclaim Messiah's reign? John fails. The purpose of Eliahu coming is to
2: prepare the way. So the purpose of preparing the way is there will be a Messiah will be here. And he did he did he did show up, but not in the way that's being described in in the in the Songs of Consolation, where he's coming victorious and it's basically the world is at peace. So and it's not like I said, it's not John's fault. He did what he was supposed to do. That was it. That's right. Uh, the outcome was not up to him, and the outcome never is up to any of us. Right. Simply to be obedient. So in that regard, he was successful and he did what his purpose was. But whether it's whether his Uh, whether his overall mission was successful it was for him but but it it didn't bring it didn't bring Messiah as the king
1: because he's and that's and that's why we see Eliyahu twice I think too that John is uh, I I liked your point that he's successful and not uh, in some regard in terms of his uh, results Um, but I also think that he has a certain degree of success because john's job was to prepare the way for mashiach now he doesn't succeed ultimately with the people as a a whole but he does succeed with a very small number of them it's john we should point out whose disciples were the first disciples of the master we were just reading in john chapter one if you go a little bit further in your study if you go a little further than what we had to stop at the next section is some of john's disciples go hey, is that the guy that John was saying was the Lamb of God? It's the guy. Let's go talk to him. And they end up becoming the start of the disciples of Yeshua. So um, John does not change the heart of the nation, per se, but he does manage to, um, to, to prepare the way, to use that phrase, um, to make those rough places smooth in some very strategic hearts that become um, as to borrow a parable from Yeshua, they become a mustard seed so to speak, that turns into the, uh, the enormously successful messianic uh, era that we're in now of sorts so um, that that, um, that religion's a wrong term that sect of Judaism um emerges because of the work that John does. Gregory, do you have a comment? Well, so I was just thinking this, I've never really stopped to think
4: about the success or failure of John, but then also the, if we're kind of going along the lines of a generation or a people meriting the Messiah coming, like it, why, it, it kind of begs the question like, well, why, what did the generation do at that time that would have merited Messiah's coming at that time? I mean, we just pointed out that John certainly was successful with some, but certainly not at a, on a nation, national level, and it's just, it's either that generation or the generation following that literally caused the destruction of the temple. Mm. So it's like, clearly... Maybe that's the reason why. Same reason. That they were falling so baseless, far...
2: Baseless hatred. Yeah,
4: yeah.
1: that it, it needed...
4: Well, Messiah, it's funny you say
1: that. falling so far. I think that we, have a, we sometimes have a mistaken view of the way that God levels punishment. Um, I don't disagree with you that the people had obviously fallen short in a significant way, but I think, that, I think though, that <clears throat> when God oftentimes is perceived by us as levying a harsh punishment on people who are otherwise, seems to be pretty good people, because they should know better because more is expected from them we see this in the throughout the scriptures you see time and time again that when um when, you, when some of the, the superheroes of the faith so to speak they fall short you know moses we just got rid of reading about him right moses strikes the rock and that's it can't go in the promised land whoa like that's a big deal you know that feels like it feels kind of like a harsh punishment like really, one time that was it and and the understanding is. No, Moses is at that level where God expects a lot from him, and more importantly, he represents God. The righteous also represent God. If if the if the righteous get away, so to speak, or seem to get away with doing things that are wrong, that will actually spoil the entire batch. So I would say that like the generation that, that was destroyed, well, that saw the destruction of the temple. They obviously had fallen quite far, but it's interesting that in the way that they fell, because they were actually an incredibly. Um, uh, strict generation. They actually were very good at keeping a lot of the Torah. It wasn't like the generation of the Babylonian exile, which was into idolatry, and oh my goodness, murder and adultery, and it's like all of the top worst things out there. They're doing all of them. I mean, the generation of the destruction temple, their flaw was, for all of their religiosity, they missed the, realistically, really the most important two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. And it was so grievous and so, and so, um, and so, uh, and, and so poisonous. The only way to get their attention, basically, was to destroy the temple. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily make them um, a worse generation than today. In fact, the, the sages kind of indicate that Mashiach is the, the Mashiach of the lepers. Right? He comes in a leprous generation. It's when the generations are getting at their worst, at some level. But his people, of course, should be repentant and ready for it. So,
6: well, just to
1: parrot the
6: words of Yeshua,
1: he said only a wicked and perverse
6: generation asked for signs. Well, he said, Good point. if Sodom and Gomorrah saw the signs that you saw now, they would repent. Hmm. And it, it would be better for them on the day of judgment than for this generation here. Hmm. Why? Because as you said, they had an agenda. And what they expected of Messiah is not who he represented or showed himself as. I like the other term you used, you use the term strategic. I really believe Yeshua's ministry was a covert mission, and hmm. that his purpose was not according to the agenda of the um, rabbinical concept of what Messiah was mm-hmm. going to come. Um, and he came um, specifically for the salvation of the world. The salvation, I mean, um, the Jews are the salvation. Hmm. And so, whenever you hear the disciples says, "Come, come to him. And say, Rabbi, why do you teach in parables?" He said, "Because if I speak plainly, they would hear and listen, and they would be
1: saved. But that is not my intent." Well, in some ways, it almost feels kind of like we're talking about, right? Messiah gets revealed to a generation that's worthy. And in a sense, it's almost like it's almost like he's there, in hiding in plain sight, so to speak. You know, it's like he's there, and if the people would would be truly repentant, then we could have seen him in all his glory. But then. Because it didn't happen, they they missed that point. Real quick, I'll come back to my father-in-law, but first, Greg, did you finish your point? I didn't apologize. Because yeah, you but that was that was I really uh, no, that
4: was helpful. I think that was really helpful because I like I said, I hadn't thought of it that way before. Like, what was what was so special about that generation that they merit quote unquote the the first coming or the the revelation of of Messiah? And but it actually makes so much sense because if we interpret the Jewish approach that there's two different types of messiahs, two different mm-hmm. functions of Messiah. And I the first it's typical model. Yeah. It yeah.
1: Just happens to be one person instead of
4: two. Exactly. Yeah. But the uh the suffering servant, or you know, even in the Messiah, as we kind of see more towards the middle of yes. the libretto, where it's a more personal and it's it's more about the lamb and it's more about like come to me, all you had heavy laden, you know, um, then that actually that would be the perfect timing for that function of Messiah to be revealed in the world right. when it was
0: when it was most needed. That's a good point. That's a very good point that. Yes sir. But I I agree with everything that was said. <laughs> but um, however <laughs> I, I I do think that we should recognize that while the generation as a whole was unworthy of Messiah, a lot of priests came to understand that Yeshua was the Messiah a lot of priests, and I think that had a lot to do with John the failure. I mean, John the Baptist. And we wouldn't be sitting in this room, and his dad would have been flying as a missionary pilot, and you wouldn't be, you know, unless a part of that generation was faithful to our master. Right. You know, it's almost like you've got these very far groupings in the same generation an amazingly faithful martyred group and a baseless hatred Mm -hmm. this is not what my agenda was I don't know who this guy is or who he thinks he's going to be you know what it's better that one man should die than the whole nation go to pop Mm -hmm. (laughs) so uh, I think we just need to keep the balance there but uh, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't, I, we also need to recognize that God was not surprised. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. of course not. No, like, yes. What I mean, no. I holy, planned this. Holy thing. cow! <laughs> they didn't. They didn't take him.
1: Whoa! When I when I when I talk about the idea of Messiah being revealed when we're quote unquote ready, uh, that's obviously in a in a cosmic sense all part of the plan of God. Amen. Um, I'm talking about more from our perspective that it, it's perceived as though he could come at any time mm-hmm. or be revealed at any time. To be a better way to say that. Right. Um, and, and in a sense, the, this generation missed him. Um, but of course, God has his own plans. I mean, this is not unlike what we see, we just read about in our parasha, right? Are talking about the, the wandering in the wilderness. You know, that generation blew it. They had a chance to go in the land. There's no, there's from a human perspective, that was a coin flip. They go, yeah, let's go with Joshua and Caleb. We can do it. They would have gone in. If they'd stayed with the spies, they didn't go in. But the point is not, I mean, from God's plan, of course that was the way it was always going to happen. But from our perspective, our, our viewpoint, they missed out on an opportunity. And I think this is a warning for us today too because when we're reading through this, this week's, these Haptar of, of Consolation, um, we are seeing some of these things happen today. At least glimpse of them. Maybe, maybe four tastes. Um, they're not necessarily the fulfillment. I want to be careful about that. But we're getting, I, we're getting pictures of what it looks like for God to restore Israel, to come back, really. And um, lest we think that that's an inexorable uh, tidal wave that's just going to culminate in Messiah's kingdom, and we just get to sit, sit back and do whatever we want, and then, ooh, you know, I think people are getting stamps in their left or right hand. I probably should repent now. I have three and a half years, you know, whatever it might be. We're going to get that lesson after I'm done. <laughs> that's right. um, uh, then we're making a mistake. Because I think what we were talking about earlier is God comes to those who are worthy. Messiah tells multiple parables about people being caught unawares. And even though I'm necessarily into the you know, rapture left behind, imminent coming kind of thing, I don't think the scripture necessarily puts that out there, I do definitely believe we can miss him. Or, maybe worse, we can be a, co- well, a cause for him not being which I think is exactly what seems to happen for a century.
2: Go back to what Joseph said, it's kinda of like the it's kind of like the the candle in incredible darkness. You know, you can have this overwhelming darkness, and it takes one candle. Mm. And the one candle stands out. Whereas on a noon a noonday, sunny day, the one candle doesn't show up at all. And so it's kinda of like if, if you want to think about maybe maybe, maybe the age when Messiah came was like the age of Noah, where there's incredible evil and there's incredible Failure on human beings' part, but all it took was one man, you Noah, know, and all it took was a few of the disciples in the in the, in the days of Yeshua, and that actually is what made the difference. I mean, that's right. obviously God's God's the one who makes the difference, but looking for a few, and that's where we, you know we talk about, you know, it's like when when you know when he returns, it's like when Son of Man returns, will he find will he find faith in the on earth? earth yes. It's not like will he find everybody faithful. Mm-hmm he's looking for a few That's right. and 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 the few the disciples were significant enough to actually to set a set set history so that we we have right. opportunity for messiah to reveal himself
0: again what's, what's the 14 what's it's it what's, what's 14 in every generation 16 in every generation 33 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 36
2: i'm going to get there eventually 36 36 in every generation. you know it's, yeah. You know, it, whether, you, whether you want to hold to that that, that number, numerology yeah. or not, I think it's, I mean, you know, there's there's, something there's there. always somebody there. There's something there. Conceptually.
0: You know, we sometimes forget that before the master was betrayed, he went through in great detail how the second coming was going to be done. Sure. Right, he does. So it's, you know, it was no surprise. He knew going in, he knew he was going to be crucified. Yeah. He knew he was going to die. Right. He knew how it was going to end. Yeah.
1: Um, but to your point earlier, he wept because he saw the potential that Amen. was missed. That's right. Um, speaking of potential, let's go to our Haftarah here. We, one of the things, of course, we want to make sure we keep key in on is these are the Haftarah of consolation. So we just got out of Tishba'av, the saddest day of the year. We were lament the destruction of the temple and that severance of our relationship with God to some degree, um, at least that element of our relationship with God. Um, now we're in a stage that is completely different. We're getting ready, gearing up for the High Holy Days. We're going to come back to Rosh Hashanah, which is about welcoming God as king. Yom Kippur, which is about forgiveness of our sins and atonement. And then Sukkot, which is, which is the uh, celebration, the rejoicing of us with God, uh, his people with God. And actually, Sukkot ultimately is about the nations with God. So we get from Tish Ba'av, which is kind of like our low point, you know, wow, things are really bad, to Sukkot, which is a picture of the world to come, we journey through to that place, going to this, these seven Shabbatot Sabbaths consolation, these different um, Haftarot, these different, haftorod, these different uh, prophet passages. Um, and we start with Isaiah 40. Um, if someone could read, uh, let's say the first ten verses of Isaiah 40. I got it.
3: Go ahead. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Yerushalayim and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from Adonai's hand, double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of Adonai, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. Then even ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. The glory of Adonai shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of Adonai has spoken. A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers; the flower fades when the breath of Adonai blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers; the flower fades, but the word of our God is will stand forever. Go on up to a mountain on high, go, up to, go on up, to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Yerushalayim, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Yehuda, Behold your God. Behold, Adonai God comes with might. It is our rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him. Repentance recompense before him. You
1: read that, the I message at the very beginning. It just keeps going. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. I and mean, Later on it talks about like that the nations are a drop in the bucket compared to God. You know what's amazing about this passage is we start, we mention the voice crying in the wilderness. We talk about John. John is heralding the Shiach but who is Mashiach? Maccabee's king. But ultimately, he's God, right? Whoa. I mean, this passage, I mean, you, it, you, you, you just read, uh, get yourself up on a high mountain of Zion bear of good news. Lifted your voice mightily. What are, they, what are they saying? Behold your God. Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. In other words, it's like the, 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 the heralding we're talking about is this awesome power that you're describing earlier. It does very much sound like the second coming and also the first coming. You get a little bit of both, but it's like the the there's force and there's majesty here. And um, as we as we stay through this passage, through these passages, um, we talk about Mashiach. One of the things we're going to find is Mashiach didn't do a whole lot of the things he's expected to do. Mashiach did probably the most important st- step one. Um, in, in this, you know, setting up the kingdom of God in this death and resurrection. But the other big, big, big pieces, the ones that Judaism says, that's how we know that's Messiah. Yeshua didn't really do those. He didn't... Re- the temple was destroyed, you know, after he left, so he didn't have a chance to rebuild it, but um, he, uh, he, didn't, he didn't bring back the kingdom of Israel. Rome was still very much in charge then. He didn't bring back the exiles of Israel. I mean, think about it. As my father-in-law has pointed out multiple times, There's a Jerusalem Talmud and a Babylonian Talmud because most of the Jews didn't come back. That's right. So Yeshua begins this prophetic fulfillment. And again, I'd say does the most important step in starting that. But it's only the beginning, the, the rest of the stuff, the grandiose stuff, the stuff that we see from a distance, that's still to come. And that's part of what you're getting in the rest of this haftarah, as it talks about the the significance of what God is doing. Um, in our In our study this week, uh, we had. Gonna, oh, go ahead. I was going to say too, like, what an amazing thing to read after yeah. Lamentations.
4: I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, uh, Lamentations can it is it is it's important. I think for us to put our hearts in the right place to just see how far we we fall with our sin. But man. Isaiah forty is just a, it's a, a soothing glass of water after, <laughs> after after reading Lamentations.
1: Right, and isn't it great too that like what's the what is the comfort of, of, of Israel? And we can say Mashiach to some degree, but I mean, what's, what's Isaiah forty talking about? God, God, Hashem. Hashem, but Hashem doing what? Being with him. Being Dwelling. with them. Being with them and ruling. I mean, people well, of Israel. The theocracy. What? What's Theocracy, next? right. The people of Israel were meant to rule with God. Like, God has a vision for his people that is significant. It's impressive. Um, it's not just that, oh, yeah, don't worry, things are going to be happy again and you'll get to be part of that. And um, Mashiach, when he's walking the earth, he's saying, so you uh, you guys that are with me, you're going to rule on 12 thrones. I mean, hello? That's a pretty big deal. I mean... They, 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 was they, what was happened? that tomorrow? Didn't yeah, they say... <laughs> they had some expectations. Um, but I mean, the point is, though, that like Yeshua's thinking about this, too. Like, this is... The, the people of God are meant to to have a place of glory with Hashem and ruling the earth. Um, so one of the things we had you guys read this week was talking about Yeshua's words about about John. Um, let's go to uh, Mark chapter 9, because I thought this was a really good passage to kind of hit on all the things you talked about, kind of the... The, the grandioseness of it all and also John's role. Um, so Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 2 through 13. I Who wants it.
2: to read that? Go ahead. I got it. Oh. And after six days, Judah took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Yeshua. And Peter said to Yeshua, "Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah." For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. That's what I do. <laughs> a cloud over-overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, "This is my beloved son; listen to him." And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Yeshua only. And they were coming down the mountain. He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning th- what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, "What do the scribes say? That is, that first uh, Elijah must come. Why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come?" And he said to them, "Elijah does not come. Elijah does come first to restore all things. How it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt." But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did not, and they did to him whatever they please, as it is written of him.
1: So you get that kind of that glimpse, right, of Yeshua in glory. You get that that power, that awesome power, and uh, and his disciples kind of get, they're like, wait, so because they're getting the glimpse, right? They're getting the picture. They're they're thinking, this, this is it. This is it. Where was Elijah? Pretty sure Elijah's supposed to come first. Why did they say that? Maybe they were wrong. Whew. Okay, we're good. Now wait, Elijah did come. Um, and restores all things. What,
2: was that dying thing? I don't know what he's talking about because it, it was just it.
1: <laughs> right. Um, it turns out Elijah apparently has a less grandiose first coming, so to speak, as well. <laughs> In terms of all that, there's a, there's a death for John too. Um, an interesting thing though about John. So Yeshua, one of the other passages you guys read, Yeshua describes John... He says that the, um, the all the prophets were until John. What do you think he means by that? Is that is that the uh, the little the little piece of paper in between your old and New Testaments? You know. Okay, so this is the the dividing line. Um, what do you think Yeshua meant by like all the prophets were until John? Language. Is he lumping John in with the prophets? Think so? Why? Why do you think so?
5: Because it says until, which I think would include John as a prophet.
1: I think I think that makes sense. You can also read it that it stops before him. Um, Micah, what is your thought?
3: Prophets will run until John returns.
0: Until John returns, or Elijah comes like John. Were John like Elijah? Were Elijah like Elijah. I want to
1: say if John shows up again, you can, call me again, Ray, you can call... <laughs> If John shows up again, that's going to really really That'll throw, throw everybody some of off. the uh, yeah. end times prophecies, right? To be like, I thought Elijah was but, Elijah.
0: But based on what they're wearing, you can't tell. You can't tell.
2: I think maybe it means consider that maybe it means that 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 John's function and John's ministry was 100% expressed by the prophets. In other words, Basically, the prophets were preparing for John. Mm, okay. And the message of the prophets mm. is John's message,
1: which it is. I think I like that. I like that very much. Or, or and we don't need any more prophets. That's right. That's true. So let me give you guys another analogy that helped that. That I felt God kind of gave me this week that kind of helped me think about what that means. What was Samuel a judge? Yes. Yeah. And or a prophet? A or prophet? Yes. But but so what's <laughs> no, Samuel's role as a judge slash prophet? Anoint the first of king. Anoint the first king. Samuel is about transition. He's the last judge. He's the last judge, but he's not the last judge because the judges failed, per se. Right. We're done with judges. And it's not because, like, there's a big change and God's like, well, the judges that didn't work. Let's move on from that. Or. Okay, let's see. That um, let's let's try uh, option two, kings. Let's see let's see how that goes. Um, uh, I'll take kings for two. Right, you know, it's like we're gonna we're gonna try another another alternative here. Um, Samuel is a transition point because judges were not really God's vision for his people. Sam Nadler has an interesting thought that he had mentioned one time in one of his in one of his teachings that that Saul was sort of the people's king, but David was God's king. And that's not to say that god didn't plan on saul but in other words again going from our human perspective the people asked for saul they demanded a king what does samuel do samuel rings him out for him samuel's like what are you talking about didn't trust me didn't trust god like come on and david's not born yet knock it off but you know what's fascinating samuel anoints david saul fails that'd be the perfect time for god to be like that's it we're going back to judges tried a king didn't work told you it wasn't going to work It was always a bad idea. Instead, the same guy who anoints Saul anoints David to replace him because Samuel was about getting to David. I think John is the Samuel in this story. He's about transitioning from the prophets to Mashiach. Mashiach is the the King David in this picture. So John is not that the prophets don't end because that didn't work or because God has a new message now mean God is gone, and God of love is here. No, that's not what we're talking about.
6: Um, rather, Dispensationalism here comes. I know, right? Uh, rather, <laughs> instead,
1: it's a transition point. It's like, so I've given you all of the, the the prophets to get you prepared, to get you ready for me, to get you to repent, to get you to understand who God is as much as we can from a human perspective. Now God in the flesh is going to be here. The prophet that Moses had prophesied about is going to come, and you're going to experience that. And that's what we were building up to.
0: Yes, sir. But it's interesting that you, you noted that Samuel anointed the first king and then the second king. And John will herald the first Messiah and or Elijah did, and Elijah will the second Messiah.
6: That's right. cool. That is that's kinda cool. cool. I like that.
1: That's so you get you get the good pivot point.
6: Um Better roles are reversed, where the people chose who they wanted, Messiah
0: came, and they yeah. didn't choose him. Choose. Yes. Nice. <laughs> right. But the second one is always yeah. And again, nice David choice. was good-looking, pleasing out of Yeshua, but the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I Goals like this. Jeans. We could work this. <laughs> Class number two. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the anti-salt, yeah. that's for yeah. sure.
1: Um, Joshua, did you have a comment? Okay. Um, sorry, Mr. Duke. Uh The... Um, so yeah, so we're getting to this idea. The reason why I bring this up, I think partly, is I want to emphasize again the kingship of Messiah and the, and the role that John plays and how this is a pretty dramatic point. Think about Elijah. Um, hope that you got a chance to read uh, from the, uh, the Sitter. We put it, um, thank you to Art Scroll. Just want to say this uh, document is free online, so we're not trying to violate your copyright. Um, but... Um, our scroll has a powerful, powerful prayer. Uh, in the I love this, this uh, Hoshana Rabbah prayer. So Hashanah Rabbah, we're getting to the end of Sukkot. It's the great Hoshana. Um, we're getting to the very, very end, and we're leading into um, the Shemini Yatseret, which is the sort of the culmination, the after party, if you will, of Sukkot. Um, Hoshana Rabbah is the last day of of Sukkot. And and in the prayer specific to Hashanah Rabbah, there is this whole long, beautiful, powerful, poetic discourse on a voice. Um, what are some things that the voice says or heralds and proclaims? does something out there. anybody anybody has it with them? Well, it,
0: it sounds like. First Thessalonians 4. Right? Right? I mean, we got the shofar. The shofar. And, and, uh, and he comes, and he, he goes to the Mount of Olives. So
1: it's Splits a, the Mount of Olives. Which, by yeah. the way, if you read Zechariah this week, that sounds a lot like, well, first of all, it sounds like God. But uh, that's a pretty dramatic deal, right? Yeah. Whoa.
0: Changing the geography.
1: Micah, what's something else the voice says? Any of them are fine, because they're a whole of awesome. them.
0: Well, he has come, and his Holy One's with him, again, same as uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. And it's two people. Yeah, saviors. The voice
1: is the herald,
2: and he's speaking of someone else.
1: Right. 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 It's like John chapter, John chapter 1, you like, who are you talking about? He's talking about you? No, I'm not talking about me. <laughs> um...
2: Talks about that that uh, can the salvation and its moment were ordained. Can the earth deliver issue in a single day?
1: Right. And What is that talking about?
2: So so the when we see that before it's like can a nation be born in a day? Right. But in this regard, this is this is like Isaiah fifty one through fifty three, where it's speaking of Israel, but it's speaking of Messiah. So in the same way, can a nation be born in a day? Speaking of. A king as well, and principally, he's talking about a person, a single person,
1: right? And I think that you get in this in this imagery, you definitely are getting that redemption of the people, the restoration of the people of Israel. Um, look at the end of, the, of that first page. This is when the resplendent one redeems nation. At evening time, there will be light. If you read the um, the prophetic passages, this concept—I mean, these—this is just. Full. I mean, you talking about that First Thessalonians four. That's the apostolic scriptures. But then you got all the other references in the prophets that are showing up here. Um, you've got imagery here uh, coming from Song of Songs. He knocks, he peers, and he shines. Kind of that that, that imagery again. Talking about God um, uh, seeing His people, loving His people, that relationship with God and His people. You, that my dad mentioned the uh, the restoration
0: of Israel and, and the birth of, of them. You've got the resurrection for those sleeping in Hebron have arisen.
1: Wasn't that cool? I thought that was so cool. Talking about like, so who's sleeping in Hebron? The patriarchs, yeah. Right. So it's like this this uh, this whole passage. Um, has so much imagery that, that, to me, really does remind me of, of, of the Handel's Messiah. I think a lot of it, and, and it's kind of the journey that it takes. But you know, what's fascinating to me is, and this is something I think that Judaism struggles with a little bit, quite frankly, in trying to understand the interplay between Mashiach and God, because we see Mashiach as being divine. Judaism does not. Um, but I think that sometimes the poetic license gets a little... Uh, it's close to the edge there. Um, because throughout all this passage, we've read these things that sound very much like they're talking about God. And then we get to this end here. It says, a man has sprouted Samach, the branch is his name. He is David himself. Um, maybe you could argue that that's supposed to be a different person than the previous people. But the point is that um, I'm seeing them as, as one. But the uh, with the injury, again, this is, this is what... Um, the Messiah is going to restore Israel. He's going to restore the kingdom of God. He's going to make the universe... He's going to restore the kingdom of David, too. Right, the kingdom of David. that was a promise. Right, right. And he's going to make the universe... build him a house.
0: ...whole and complete again. Yeah. Uh, you shall be saved this very day if you will achieve my promise. promise. He, and he'll remember that. Apparently, Siri going to keep track of that. Because <laughs> he's, he's English good. voice. <laughs> he interrupts all the
1: time. Um... <laughs> I think that so. I think that that's you know when we think right. about Mashiach's role, and also, in connection to, the, um, to John, John is John and ultimately Elijah is going to be heralding this kingdom, not just the not just the Messiah but ultimately a kingdom that he's bringing with him. Um, speaking of which, we've uh, referenced First Thessalonians four fifteen multiple times. Um, do one of the younger men want to read First Thessalonians four fifteen through seventeen?
3: Go ahead, Micah. For this we say unto you by the word of Adonai, the, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of Adonai shall not prevent them from them which are asleep. For Adonai himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Messiah shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them Comfort one
0: another with these words. Comfort, Comfort my people, right? Uh,
1: and that sounds so much like we're talking about. A second ago. we're talking about the uh, the resurrection from um, those sleeping in Hebron have arisen. It's almost like I mean, can't you just see like those those guys going be up probably the front of the line? I'm thinking, you know, Abraham, <laughs> Isaac, Jacob. Um, They're queued up, <laughs> right? You know. But it's like you think about that, like that you get that imagery, right? So and then and then uh, Paul in his comments, Shaul, he's he's giving this picture that Mashiach's return is not just about those of us who are here now, but ultimately about the resurrection from the dead. Handles Messiah, he gets that same that same picture. And then of course, um, we can't we can't have this study and not read from Malachi chapter four. Um, Josiah, can you read for us Malachi four one through six? If you have a Hebrew Bible, I have no idea where the book of Malachi is located. But if you have an English Bible, it's the very last book.
0: Is it Malachi right before um, Psalms? Yeah, it probably is right before right Psalms. before the writings begin. Because mm-hmm. it would be at the end. So real quick, so
1: Malachi uh, is one of the prophets, I believe, post Babylonian Exile, correct? So he's actually in an interesting position because... He's already been exiled. Come back from exile. Malachi's seeing some things aren't working so well. He's not. He's not entirely happy. God's not happy with how things are going. This is actually an interesting um, point to make because think about it. If you look at the exiles, um, almost like a like a uh, an event that changes the people, the people of a generation or multiple generations, um, an era. Maybe is a better way to phrase that. Um, so, the first exile comes and goes. Malachi is in the second era, uh, the second temple era, um, which is actually going to culminate with Mashiach and is ultimately going to culminate and destroy the temple again. So, if you think about it, some of the things that Ma- Malachi is seeing here are almost like a foreshadow of the very types of issues that Yeshua is going to address and ultimately is going to lead to the destruction of the temple. It's, it's, uh, Malachi's complaints are not so much saying, you know, you guys are worshiping idols and you're killing people in the streets. I mean, it really is a lot more like you guys are saying you're bored with God and you really don't want to spend time with him and you can't wait till Shabbat's over. And, you know, basically <laughs> like he's He's critiquing them because you guys aren't paying tithe. Hello, like God said, bring bring your tithe into the storehouse. You don't you don't believe me that, oh, you think you have to hold on to your money yourself? You don't think I'm going to take care of you? I mean, this is, is this not exactly what Yeshua talks about, you know, talking about the uh, little faith, basically that whole imagery. So Malachi is sort of like a, He's like a um, he's like the beginning stages of what becomes uh, an unfortunate theme for this particular era of, of Israel. And uh, at the end of Malachi, he has a very very end of Malachi he has a very interesting prophecy um, that that kind of leads into Yeshua's time. So, Josiah, if
5: you would read for us, do you have it? For behold, the day is coming, running like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will, will stumble. The day is come the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says Adonai of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with its healing with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that on the day when I act, Says Adonai of hosts, "Remember the law that the law of my servant Moshe, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I send you Eliahu. I will send you Eliahu, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of Adonai comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the, of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction." Boom, 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 boom. So
1: again, conquering king. Going to come in and going to wipe out the wicked. Going to make sure the righteous are in charge. Um, but interestingly enough, this this herald of the great day of the Lord um, is coming to do what? Turn the hearts. Turn the hearts. But you
3: know what's fascinating about that? Turn the hearts how? Joshua. It strikes a saying... Uh, motivation into the people by realizing, oh wait, he's actually coming. We are seeing that he, he, his four, not four, his herald is here, and oh, now would be a really great time to repent. So <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> I right. That's an excellent summation of, of some of what John's doing. But what is what is the message here from Elijah? What what's what's he's trying to do?
4: So before that, he's saying, "Remember the law." Right, and that would essentially restore fathers to their children and children to their fathers because that's that's the mitzvah. I mean, it's your father and mother, you know, and you have commandments to teach your children. You send them home. You walk away. So it's it's a the Torah restores that relationship, right? If they if they if both nice. follow it,
1: if both follow it, absolutely, and I think it. um just what's your, your, your thoughts?
5: I think it's more of a realization of. All that they've been doing wrong and that they need to repent
1: i think you're right i think that, but there's one particular focus point what does he say to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children to their children and, children the, the, and children the children to their fathers. fathers you know what's fascinating about that because you mentioned the torah and i think you're absolutely correct i think the torah is, is the foundation point and it does get brought up again and that's god's vision right but it's almost like the second part is like a almost like a it's like a summation to like, what's wrong with keeping them from really keeping the Torah? And it's so fascinating to me, because why was the temple destroyed? The second temple? Baseless hatred. Baseless hatred. The, the horizontal relationships were not okay. And what is the Eliyahu's mission, his, his voice, his, his message at the end of Malachi? It's horizontal. Mm. It's amazing to me. You would think the very last verse, when God says, He's going to come do this, and He's going to change the hearts... And if he doesn't, you know, curses come to smite the land. You would have thought he'd said, and he would turn the hearts of God, to the, you know, turn the people of hearts of the people to God. Because that's what you think would be the primary focus here. But this era is different. The previous era with Babylon, that was bad. We were not, we were not in good with God. We betrayed God. The second era, the second temple period, didn't do that. They weren't intentionally running away from God. They weren't trying to put up walls. Their relationship with God was, I think Malachi addresses some of this, had become somewhat cold and stale. Their relationship with God was not vibrant. But the biggest issue, perhaps the most um, devastating issue, and can ultimately become the reason, according to Judaism, why the temple was destroyed, is that the relationship between one another was off. And I think that relationship between father and son is perhaps um, most serious there because, of course, we're talking about, like, to your point, Gregory, this is on your father and mother. Well, that's lumped in with the commandments talking about God. Okay, that's a picture of a divine relationship with humanity, as well as a horizontal relationship. Um, so John is coming to tell us to repent because his goal is to have people treat one another correctly. Mm. That's Yeshua's message too. If you read throughout uh, the the Beatitudes and throughout Yeshua's how they going to know sermons, you love one another. You love one another, right? Yeah, over and over and over again. Yeshua's words are very horizontal. Love your enemy, be good to those who hate you. You know, um, he talks about uh, showing off and whatnot. So it's partly that relationship with God, but it's not. It's not need to uh, stop eating pork and put your idols away. It's. You know, let, we've gotten past that. We've yeah, graduated. All, all a those bit. are good things. But, those are, but you should already be doing that. It's like, okay, this that's generation, that's this a is a given. You should know that already. I mean, they're adding spices. So, the last, the last, the last <laughs> bunch of people got exiled because of all these things. So, you learn that lesson, that's fine. But you're not ready yet for Mashiach to be here. Mm-hmm. You're not ready yet to have that real relationship with God until your relationship with one another is, is healthy. Yeah. So when you read throughout the apostolic scriptures, one reason why Christians sometimes get confused and think that the Torah has been done away with is because the, the epistles and Yeshua don't spend a whole lot of time talking about those details in the Torah because they were a given. Of course you're doing that. We've got to focus on the stuff you're doing wrong. And what are they doing wrong? What they're doing wrong is usually these relationships between us. Um, it's interesting today that in um, when they talk some about... Uh, you listen to some like rabbis and things. They talk about like things that they, you know, might struggle with or whatever else. You know, they're obviously not being out there being like, yeah, you know, I, I really got really got to work on not eating the pepperoni. And that's that's not really a struggle for them. It's definitely much more on that. I really, I want, I want, uh, I want humility, or I want, you know, I want you to put away that sense of, um, you know, of. of, of strife or jealousy or you know one thing to talk about korak korak is actually considered to be like a kind of a, a really impressive dude the the sages don't look at korak and be like that was a really wicked man they actually see him as being like this is, this is a pretty outstanding guy who fell horribly and becomes like <laughs> kind of like the symbol of evil because of jealousy so it's just like paul paul in philippians he's writing the philippians and he's telling them look you gotta you gotta be of one mind." You got to be humble like Mashiach was. You've got to you got to put aside. I like think Galatians. You know, stop biting one another. I mean, not figuratively, but figuratively. He's like, don't don't you know, put aside things like selfish ambition and and you know, conceit and pride because this is destroying the relationship between each other. And because of that, you're you're missing God in the world. Yes, Joshua.
3: So what you're saying is, for in my repentance, it's not. Stop doing this, but more of a reparation of your relationships with your, your brother in Torah and with God.
1: I think, this not, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think stop doing this. There's certain things you should be stopping and doing that. But I think, yes, that focus is, is a much bigger picture than that. It's not just you're doing A, B, and C wrong. Do, just stop doing that. But definitely there's a positive message as well. Do. Do this so yeshua says you know they talk about love your neighbor he doesn't just say stop hating your neighbor he says do unto others as you would have them do to you um he's definitely in a positive message to to your point so so john comes this is john's message john is partly successful some people hear the message not everybody Uh, but elijah is coming he's coming back well first let's ask the question he is coming back right We, we think that maybe yeah. Yeah. Nice. not back
2: or he's coming You yeah, know, that's Think a, little a confusing, good confusing but Elijah's coming
1: could be Elijah 3.0 we're not sure which guys could be the sure. original Elijah could be John could be a whole new Elijah a whole new Elijah um, that's the way it's going to work but, uh, but Elijah's coming he's going to herald he's going to herald who? Mashiach Mashiach but Mashiach is what? God it's God and King. King. and King and if you read the beginning of Malachi chapter 4, if you listened as Josiah was reading, um, you really want to be on the right side yeah. of this king. Yeah. Um, and if you are, then the message is comfort my people. So, um, as we go through this this whole uh, next several weeks together, seven weeks in total, I um, hope that you keep this, this vision in mind. Um, I want you to be thinking... Um, big picture, you know. We're gonna talk about Mashiach and we're gonna read from Handel's Messiah, which talks about his death, burial, resurrection, and a lot of the things that you know. But I want you to thinking about it. It's it's so much more than just the first coming. It's about the second coming. It's about the first coming being bigger picture than maybe that you would have thought it before. You know, and it's about this whole grand plan of God to bring us all together. Any final comments?
2: Not not to steal your summary, but. Um... Handel's a genius. He is. Handel's a genius. I mean, you see, like you read it, you know, this guy's got a deep understanding of scripture. Mm-hmm. So
1: Charles Jenner, I think Jenner? Jenner. Jenner, Jenner? Jenner. It, it puts together the Jenner's scripture is, and then Handel's genius talk. was to add the music. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That so flows so well. So yeah, well, I mean, yeah.
2: It's Handel's. It, yeah. So it's It's genius. But at the same time, the, uh, the whoever the writer of uh, the Herald proclaims it's a genius. I mean, just pulling from probably 40, 50 scriptures and piecing them together in such a, a marvelous way. And the fact that Joshua and Julian actually put these two things together—that's like
1: genius. Well, I'll give, I'll, I'll, I'll give genius <laughs> credit to my wife here. She was the one who's like, "We that's, should do a lesson on that's the seventh Sabbath of consolation and handles Messiah." And I'm going, "Okay." She's a genius. Well, the first person prophets is cover my people and the first line in Handel Messiah is cover my people right and they're right together and it's like oh this is perfect it is so um, yeah no it's, it's a really good you're right your point Handel's genius Charles a genius the writer of the uh, the voice of claims is also genius divinely inspired I'd say really I mean no um, uh, at least at least in a in a, in a limited format um, uh, they, they if you've ever heard handles Messiah, especially live, um, it is pretty powerful. I mean, there's a reason why to this day, even, you know, commercials trying to sell you cleaning products or having the hallelujah chorus in the background. <laughs> I mean, this stuff is brilliant. It's really, really good. Um, and I, I'm excited about it. So if you haven't listened to it, or if you haven't in a while, maybe because the three weeks you were not listening to music, um, now would be a good time to, uh, to play that in the background. You have to sing along. <laughs> you can. You can. It's actually remarkably That's right. easy. That's right. And they repeat themselves often. So uh, 30 minutes of reading takes two hours to say. So, um, yeah, it's fun stuff. Um, if I could get Mr. Martin to close us in prayer, that would be Shoot. great.
0: Father, well, we, uh, we are thankful that you have had a plan all along. And we're extraordinarily grateful that you've given us the opportunity. us to proclaim the good news on the side of those that were around in our words our actions and especially in our actions Dan and Dan. thank you for all that you've done for us for all these things because we have a relationship with our master Yeshua, you Amen Thank you Joshua that was fun thanks guys
2: thank
1: you Joshua. Thanks for coming thank you for your comments comes with free. Bless you.
6: Oh, you're cute The music. Okay.
5: It's playing handles
0: the sun. Yes, it is. <laughs> As Good though that you. was intentional. Excellent job. Well, this great. is going to be really fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. This is fun.
2: Yeah, that's the beginning.